So how was your dinner with Austin Stout? Dude, it was awesome. And there was plenty of food. Instagram was like freaking out being like, are did you have enough food? Like, did you make enough? <laughs> yeah, we had steak, we had salmon, there were potatoes, two types of vegetables and brownies. And let me tell you, my husband is like six foot two, 180 pounds. So he's like a I mean, I don't want to call him tiny, but he's a small guy, especially comparative into the bodybuilding realm. And this motherfucker ate five of the nine brownies. I was like, you didn't even share. Like you did not even share. <laughs> it's awesome. That's so, that's so good. Um, so today we have a guest, um, a very special guest. Um, Luke Miller is here. Um, and we are so excited to talk to him about training principles. Um, Luke, like, do you, do you actually want to give yourself like this, like this intro? Like just talk about yourself. Yeah, I'll just, I'll give a brief one. Um, so no switch fitness is my coaching company. Um, we do, uh, mostly competitive bodybuilders. Um, and then we have like an education platform where we do seminars across, across the globe, um, and then educate through J3 university. Um, educational background is a dual degree in undergrad mechanical engineering with biomechanics, um, then a graduate degree in exercise science and physiology from the University of South Florida. So um, kind of study to be a coach, prep coach, whole reason I went to USF. So um, it's my life. I've competed seven times and absolutely love every single nerdy detail about this stuff. And just excited for today's topic. I know this is, I, I know this, sorry, Ash, but I know this is outside of the topic, but your education. So I want to, I want to ask about that because a lot of coaches now they're like, okay, we need to get mentors and we need to, that's like a lot of our forms of education. Like yeah. a lot of us do J3U. I've done J3U. Ash has done J3U, like stuff like that. Um, you went going to school specifically for this. Like, did you know that you wanted to be a prep coach or did you have something else you wanted to do? Um, originally. So the engineering degree was more I thought I was going to design orthotics and prosthetics. I loved like understanding how the body moved and that kind of stuff. My research in undergrad was concussion rates in football and redesigning the football helmet to make sure that it limits concussions. Um, because there was like a, a lawsuit with a new helmet that had come out on, in the NFL and in college that was causing more concussions than it was preventing. Um, so that's originally what I thought I was going to do. I actually started coaching after I had competed about five times. So I've been competing for four or five years. Um, and so once I started coaching, I kind of got hooked and that's where I transitioned into going to grad school for it. So always interested in like how the body moves, how do we make sure that that's like the best that we can make it. And then I kind of really dove into the physiology side my last year of undergrad into grad school. And so that's kind of where that happened. But you made a good point on the mentor thing. Like, I think we're starting to move in that direction. Um, I won't be surprised if you see a lot of these educational sites turn into actual accredited universities. We may be talking like 10, 12, 15 years from now. But I think what you're going to see is like companies like Prescript, they'll become something that's a little bit more strength coach space for university for people who want to coach athletes. J3 University will be a little bit more specific to physique development and that kind of stuff where it'll be recognized as some sort of credential like a degree um, because there, there needs to be some standard set and there, there is no standard set at the moment. Um, and you have a lot of great people doing mentoring programs, but 
Um, I think at some point it needs to kind of take a step up. So I think it'll be a combination of mentoring plus some type of accreditation. I don't know if it'll ever get to an actual degree level, but I think there will be some expectation or regulation at some point. Um, but I think it's just going to take time. Yeah, I think with the sheer number of people wanting to be coaches, um, I think yeah. that, that you're you're correct. Like the direction will move that way. Um, maybe not soon, like five years, but like 10, 12 years. So yeah, especially especially with like some of us doing a lot in hormone optimization for females and stuff like that. Like a lot of times, like with with the, the clientele that I work with, I'm telling the practitioner what they need to do as a as a better way of managing hormone <laughs> profiles than them and it's it's no fault on them like they're specialists in what they do it's just hormone replacement therapy is not something that's taught at a very high level right. um, when you talk about your average MD right unless they specialize in endocrine like they're not gonna be very versed in it so um, yeah so I think at some point you're gonna see some sort of accreditation kind of like how you have exercise physiologists now but differential from that um, and that's kind of the direction we'll see it go. Yeah, I think it's really cool that you started in biomechanics and like engineering because obviously like when I went to school I went to school for exercise physiology Mm -hmm. Uh, I just wanted to be a personal trainer but the thing is I was a first-gen student I had no idea that you didn't need a fucking four-year degree to be a personal trainer right and so like my my school although it was a great school for physiology which is how I got really hooked into the body unfortunately a big thing that was lacking was actually that biomechanic principles and like how the body moves it wasn't until I was literally about to graduate they were like oh hey now it's a requirement to take biomechanics and I'm like fuck like I wanted that you know so that's why I think it's really cool especially when you and John Jewett released kind of like that training class that was an addition yeah. to the J3 like that for me was fucking money like yeah. you should have charged more but you know <laughs> I'm glad that you know you it was affordable for you know especially lower level coaches to get that because like it's not taught it's not taught in the way it needs to be taught where a person can watch the video and then apply it immediately after watching it. Yeah. I think it's where degrees have a lot of benefit is the critical thinking process, right? Like it forces you to learn that. Um, I think where engineering benefited me was the underlying mechanics. I understood before I understood biomechanics. Yep. And I think that that's probably an underlying where you get these people that are air quote biomechanical experts but they don't even know basic mechanics and or the fact that the body moves in three planes. And then you end up getting these stick figure drawings with heel elevated squats. And you're just like, you're missing the point. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's important to understand because you can kind of understand the sequence of events that happens. Like the squat, for example, like the first thing I'm thinking of and looking at is where's, where's the big toe. Right. And what's happening at the foot. And most people aren't. So that's like the kind of thoughts that you need to be, thinking about when it's a chain of events that are happening and then not not this air quote biomechanical model people think where it's like oh knees over toe quad it's like no it's more complicated than that so um yeah it's it's interesting i think critical thinking skills are lacking for lack of a better word uh within our realm but i think it's moving in the right direction right so going with that, like, what is your thought process when you start creating a training program for an individual? Yeah, this, this is a great question. I think this is where a lot of people can make their coaching a lot better for their clientele. Um, So it always starts with the needs analysis, which is just a fancy way of saying, what does this client need to move them from where they are to where they want to be? Okay. 
I break that down into three basic categories. Um, <clears throat> what is their developmental presentation? How much muscle do they have? Where do they have the muscle? Um, what is their structural presentation? So structural presentation being length of femurs, length of tibias, length of humerus, like those kind of things. Do we have injury profiles like a torn labrum? That would be considered a structural consideration. Um, and then a functional consideration, which would also kind of carry over the injury profile, um, as in what are they capable of doing and why are they not capable of doing the things they need to do? Um, and so you have these three categories, right? And you separate them. A lot of times what you'll see is the functional capacity where they lack is directly correlated to the muscular capacity where they lack. So then what I'll do is I'll just kind of map out, okay, from a fixing this problem standpoint, we need to do X, Y, Z. Um, and then I'll start to map out the program within that as far as like split design, specializing the landmarks and stuff like that. But it all starts at structural and functional presentation, which is where I think a lot of people miss because we're such a visual culture. Like, what do you look like on stage? Oh, I needed more chest and I probably would have won the show. Okay, let's go do 55 sets of chest a week. It's like, no, like maybe there's an issue with like serratus function where you can't actually drive tension through the tissues you're trying to get. If we could address that, you could fix that problem with 14 sets a week, right? Like it's, it's uh, missing the core issue and, and putting it onto something else. We're really good at doing that. Um, it's, it's why you progressively see bodybuilders go from being able to back squat well, and then they get all the way to pendulum squatting with pain. It's like, they just patch it, right? At some point, it's going to catch up with you. And I was just as guilty of this at some point in my career before I kind of had a better understanding of this. So um, that's where it always starts because then it starts to create the mind map of what do I need them to do? And then what are they capable of doing? And then how do I uh, fix that? And so it's reverse engineering. So it's just like identifying the problems in there and then going from there. Nice. I feel like I do something a little bit similar, just not okay. just in my mind, like in not, it's not as organized, but I think that way. Um, yeah. So some, like when I start programming for an athlete, I think I ask, they obviously have to know what their movement patterns are like. So I'll look at them first. Um, and obviously like where they need to build muscle. And then I program based on that. Um, yeah. but it's, so my way is obviously not as detailed as your way, but I think that I'm on the like right direction and the right path. Yeah. Uh, and let's, let's make it more tangible from like a takeaway perspective. Like, um, the classic example you see is bodybuilders just can't squat. Like they just suck at it. Right. It's, it's not really, you see some people who can, but let's say you have someone that presents with an incapacity to squat to depth. Okay. What are the first things you're looking at? Okay. Start at the foot. Typically ankle mobility is going to be one. How can they dorsiflex, right? Uh, you kind of start to go up and you look at their capacity to internally rotate the femur. What are they doing with cueing the squat? Do they break at the hips and the knees first? Things like that. So I'm just identifying like in my tester videos, which is a part of that process. It's like, I'll write a base program, but I always tell them off the cuff, like do these tests first, which will be highlighted in red on the program as like uh, tests of movement where I'm having them move in a certain manner. And then I might change the program if I see something crop up that I'm not expecting. 
So then it'll it'll kind of modify the program from there and then I'll come back to the drawing board. So with that example, like uh, lack of dorsiflexion, what are the things that you'll see there? Um, sometimes it's just an inability to dorsiflex. Sometimes it's simply cueing. Bodybuilders love for some odd reason because they hit front relaxed with the pressure on the outside of their feet. They like to squat with the pressure on the outside of their feet. And it's idiotic when we think about dorsiflexion because external rotation foot pressure limits the joint movement of the subtalar joint. So basically just your ankle joint because you get bone on bone contact where if we actually taught these people to stay in midfoot, drive the big toe down as we descend into the squat, allow that femur to internally rotate, we would actually gain more access to dorsiflexion and probably not have the problems with squatting that these people have. So sometimes it's just a cueing issue. Sometimes it's someone actually lacks that capacity and we have to start looking at like heel elevation and the right squat pattern and these kinds of things. That would be a me. My, my foot doesn't like to go to my shin at all. So I squat with a heel elevated squat and whatever pattern I can get that weight out in front of me. So safety bar is kind of my variation at the moment. So these are like one classic example of that, right? And I have a, a secondary thing where I can't internally rotate my femurs very well. So that's gotten better, but there's some things I'm doing to improve it. So that's like the breakdown, like the functional presentation of, oh, the squat looks like an RDL with a bar on your back. Okay, let's figure out why it looks like that. Absolutely, absolutely. So when looking into designing your programming, like hmm. in your mind, is there like a designated rep scheme that you like to stay in between? Like what's your thoughts on intensity? Is it failure or nothing? Like, you know, kind of tell us your, your thought process when, when you have like the basic idea of what their programming is looking like from an exercise selection standpoint. Yeah, so uh, rep ranges first. Um, literature, obviously we know anywhere six to 30 is approximately the percentages of load that you'll see progress in um, from a hypertrophy perspective. So I will say a lot of training happens between eight to 15. Um, where I will kind of give caveats with that is specific patterns like leg press. A lot of times I'm keeping up in 17, 18, 19, 20 for most people. Um, just percentage of load on leg presses is, can be problematic relative to their one rep max. Um, and pretty much it just kind of tapers throughout the session for most people. There are obviously obsessions, but like compounds are going to be somewhere in that eight to 10, eight to 12 place. As we kind of get into isolation exercises, 10 to 15 is where a lot of that work's going to happen. Um, I think what's more important is to focus on how well someone does something and then how much, how well can they repeat it? Because some people will do it well week one, week two, and then week five comes around and no longer looks anything like it looked like in one week one, week two. Um, so if we start there, a lot of the other stuff can kind of just start to take care of itself. If we talk about like rep ranges and stuff like that, um, not even getting into program design yet, obviously, but then that kind of takes us to intensity like markers, like where do we take these, these patterns? And I will say just because of the content I put out psychologically, I get people who like to train to failure for me, a program adherence is probably the number one thing over anything and creating a result for someone. So like if you get someone who loves to train to failure and you give them this like progressive volume accumulation model where it's like four RIR, three RIR, two RIR, one RIR, it's not gonna give you what you want because these people are just gonna hate what they're doing. 
So that kind of takes into consideration of what I do. I will say from a programming perspective, I lean more towards taking sets to failure or just shy where like compounds that have a little bit more risk involved. Like if you are safety bar squatting, for example, that might be one rep in reserve, right? I don't want you to dump the bar on the bottom racks, right? So, um, and, and that might be specific to just people having a better definition of what one rep in reserve and zero RIR is, right? But um, that's kind of where, as we get into the isolation exercises, they will be taking to failure um, pretty much across the board, um, as long as the quality of the stimulus is there. Where I will use reference in reserve, which is probably a better question to answer, is the first couple of weeks of a program, once we're kind of setting the foundations, it'll be like week one, two reps in reserve, week two, one rep in reserve, week three, remove it. So you're accumulating volume without actually adding sets. Mm -hmm. And then from there, um, if someone can't get it through their thick skull on how to execute a pattern, because if you can't, <laughs> if you can't do it, like you can't take it to failure, right? There's, that has to be there before you can actually take something to failure. So there are cases where that comes into play. Uh, I do have a couple of clients who prefer kind of like the scaling of reps and reserve. Um, it, it's not my preferred way, but again, I'm paid to create a result, not to tell people what I prefer. So that's kind of where those models will start to come into play. And it's just a different way to progress it over time. But um, yeah, so I think that's, and there was a third part of that question. Do you remember what the third part More was? about doing volume. So more like how many working sets do you tend to program? Uh, yeah. Okay. General to specific, um, in a general manner, like compounds will be two sets a piece, isolation, two to three, depending on the landmarks that person's training at. As we go into specialized programming, that's where that will change quite a bit. And just to give an example. So my program right now is delt tricep focus because I don't have delts. I wish my wife would just give me hers, but that can't happen. So um, a lot of my sessions right now, I train, I train delts three times in seven days. Every single one of those starts with four sets of a lateral raise of some sort. Mm -hmm. That's specific to the fact that my volume landmarks of shoulders are way over the rest of the volume landmarks for the rest of my body parts. I'm driving a specialized program. So that's where you'll see like these isolation movements sometimes will go up into three and four sets. Um, for me, I'm taking all of those to failure. Um, that, but that's also a very, very specialized program. Like back training has been pulled to once a week. Um, chest training has been pulled back to very baseline volume. Um, I've removed all capacity of the shoulder joint to have to torque under a bar or to lock down a bar or anything like that. So I'm really filling up my cup for pushing or shoulder work and kind of taking away from the other cups. So that's kind of where I land with most, most movement patterns. And then depending on the split setup is kind of how many movements per body part we're doing. So I'm hearing like <clears throat> you have this specialized split and no. you are pushing volume in one area mm. uh, <clears throat> is that something you do with all of your athletes like if they need to work on something um where is your thought process there this comes back to the needs analysis so have i fixed what i can fix first that's the first question i ask and if i have then yes i'll start to do that but i think there's also a tissue level that's required to run specialized programming not all of your clients are going to be at that tissue level. So you can't across the board run some sort of specialized program to every single person. 
like for some people, especially earlier on in the career, it's just simply learning how to train a body part. Like they may literally just need to learn how to do it right. So no, it, it broads from general to specific kind of relative to how long they've been competing and training. Um, a lot of that you'll find that you can figure out with training videos. This is the best tool a coach has. Um, and, and a culture of social media shouldn't be a problem for someone to video a set, but um, they're already doing it anyways. Getting that video feedback will tell you a lot about how resilient they are throughout a set. So does the rep one look like the last rep or does it kind of start to fade off as you come across the set? Um, once you kind of see that, you'll get a really good idea of, let's say chest development's a problem. Is this chest development a problem because they just can't execute it well? Or is it, we just need better landmarks that's prioritized chest? Nine times out of 10, they just suck at training it. So I will say like, it's probably a little bit more specific to advanced athletes where you get people who've been doing it eight, nine, 10 years, where you start to drive that uh, process, right? Like there's a reason I don't wear tank tops ever. It's because my arms and my shoulders suck. And that's relative to my program, right? Like I, I need to fix that problem. So um, that's kind of where the experience level tells you how much you should specialize someone. For sure. For sure. So you're doing the specialized training right now for your delts and triceps, but let's say just on average, like how long do you have a, an athlete on a training program? Like, are you one of those that changes it like every eight to 10 weeks? Do you fix it when it doesn't work anymore? Like what's your thought process on it? This is a really good question because people change programs out of boredom before they actually get the most out of a program. In my opinion, um, people from a skill acquisition standpoint. So what is skill acquisition? It's just a fancy way of learning how to actually do something. So your time point from when you introduce a new movement to actually learning how to do something well, depending on the skill, is going to be somewhere between five to seven, five to eight weeks. If you're changing a program every eight to 10 weeks, you're barely getting to the productive point where you're actually training a pattern progressively against adaptation rather than against learning, right? So this is a... a a thing where some of my athletes are frust get frustrated with me because a, prob a, a program in general can you have someone progressing for 19, 20, 24, 26, 28 weeks with just volume landmarks kind of going like this, right? Like just pulling from places to according to recovery capacity um, before you really need to make a change in programming. Like the last program I did post-show, I ran from July all the way to February. Like that's, I don't know how many months that is, but it's a lot of months. Like <laughs> I'm not doing that all the top of my head. So I don't have an engineering degree. Just forget the math I did in undergrad. So <laughs> my point being is like, that's a long time on the same program. And to be honest with you, some of those movements have carried over into this new program. Like I love destination, but we suck at shoulder presses. We have one good piece. and that prime shoulder press has been in my program since July. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's what, what month is it? May, it's May, right? Like I'm about to be one year on the same pattern. Like I've loaded it differently in different pegs to kind of create a different stimulus, but it's the same pattern. It's the same setup. It's the same everything. And I'm still progressing it. So like, it's a lot of times it's just managing 
fatigue and how you respond to volume than it is actually changing a program. It's so crazy how like there's this monotonous culture around bodybuilding, but yeah. there it it's so hard for people to understand the monotonous nature of a training program as well mm. as it should be like, because you're constantly needing to progress and know where you're trying to progress from. Um, and like you said, like, I love what you said about the pushing and pulling of certain movements, maybe here or there, mm. uh, but keeping the same program, because I think people really underestimate that. Um, the like pulling intensifiers for a certain time or adding them for a certain time are all very valuable. So I love that. Yeah. Um, so it, as far as variables, like to be considered in your, in manipulating a client's program. So I just talked about like intensifiers, rest pauses, drop sets, things like that. Where is your mindset with that type of volume and intensity? Pretty late in the training block. So it, it's not going to be in there early on. Um, again, the first six weeks of anyone's program is learning, right? Like volume <clears throat> probably won't change a whole lot across those first four to six weeks. Um, past that, you'll start to accumulate volume pretty well, um, where sets will get added to single joint exercises according to recovery capacity and, and need. Um, I think the intensifiers are have a couple roles. One, especially things like rest pauses are good additions when someone can't handle an actual full additional set. Mm. So let's say if uh, I'm doing four sets of laterals and I think a fifth set would put me to a place where either one, I'm not getting a lot out of that fifth set or two, it kind of pushed me over my recovery capacity limits, but I could probably handle a little bit more stimulus. I'm going to be putting in something like a rest pause or a single rest pause or um, some kind of intensifier like that. Um, and that's kind of where I think a lot of that kind of intensifier has a really good role. Um, from a drop set perspective, I really like it when later in the session, like blood flow is probably the primary adaptation we're driving. So uh, non-compound in nature, like for, for chest training, for example, um, like a cable crossover, like I would, or a pec deck, two good places to add a drop set where it's later in the session, it's the last movement of the day for chest. We can drive a lot of metabolite accumulation there and, and just go. Um, again, probably in addition where another set of pec deck or another set of cable crossover would push me over my volume limits for that body part. Because we have to remember like in programming, we have local fatigue and systemic. So local can present as lack of progress with a single body part. Systemic is just going to be generalized fatigue accumulation. Um, so pretty much you'll see it across the whole program. So we can have places where, you know, we can't add a set for that body part just because we know that that'll start to limit the progressions. That's where those intensifiers will come in. So you'll typically see that the last couple of weeks of a block, possibly the last three to five. Um, and then it gets pulled pretty quickly post deload. Mm -hmm. That's actually, that's a beautiful transition to my next question. Like, do you pre-programmed deloads or is it based off biofeedback like what's your thought process when it comes to maybe troubleshooting plateaus or like you said like changing training blocks yeah 98 percent biofeedback okay the only time i'll do planned is if someone sucks at communicating their biofeedback mm -hmm. um or i've been with them long enough to know that they run into this issue between x week and x week um, so an example of that would be Cuba. Like every time we run a block with Cuba, 
pretty much somewhere between week seven and week nine, we have to rinse off fatigue. So we've kind of set a program where I wrote his actual sessions that accumulate volume and then his baseline sessions. So they're both on the plan. And then he knows every eighth week to go to the baseline sessions. So we kind of keep that dynamic in there, but Kuba is also an IFBB pro that competes at a very high level and understands when to pull that plug and can communicate that really well with me. So there needs to be a communication link if you're going to pre-plan anything. From a biofeedback standpoint, things I'm looking for, uh, issues with sleep, lack of desire to go to the gym, brain fog slash kind of carrying through the day, lack of ability to focus. Um, And the thing is, like, you won't know if this is happening if you don't have this on your sheet. So this is like a big problem is coaches won't have this in their check-in sheet. And it's like, how do you expect to know when to pull a deload if you don't have data showing like the trend? So like my sheet is a color coded thing for these subjective metrics. So I can see it go from like green to yellow to red as it starts to decline over time. Pretty easy to pick up on when a deload is needed when that's the case, right? So I will say most people are these subjective metrics. What I will say is performance in the gym for most people, if they're passionate about training, is typically the last thing to go out the window. Mm -hmm. So you'll see these subjective metrics crop up before the training performance dips. So I'm trying to catch them before the training performance dips. Gotcha. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, I think you answered like the next question, but this just kind of popped in my head. You know so much about biomechanics and how the body moves. And obviously a lot of that stems from your formal education. But as we talked about in the beginning, there's like kind of this, you know, lenience towards a formal education in place of a mentorship. But you know, where could someone either new to coaching or an experienced coach that just wants to learn more, where can they learn more about kind of the realm of biomechanics and kind of learning to adopt your needs analysis? Because I think that's very, very important that like, there's a big gap in education when it comes to like actually understanding biomechanics, understanding proper squat patterns, understanding that like, oh, well, if my pecs aren't growing, maybe it's not because I suck at volume or intensity, but maybe it's because my serratus sucks. Like, where do you think would be the best resources for coaches to kind of like step up their game when it comes to that type of stuff? Uh, So two places mainly and shameless plug here. Um, From a needs analysis perspective and maybe just a basic understanding of movement and quick takeaways for people to use with their clients and things like J3 University and the applied hypertrophy optimization module on there is probably the two best places for those kinds of things. Um, I do I do know that the needs analysis described in there is a little different than the way I do mine, but that's just a little bit specific to the way I run my coaching. Um, but that's a really great price because not only is it like a resource, but you have the forums where you can get specific questions answered. So that'd be place number one. Uh, place number two for actual biomechanics, in my opinion, is Jordan Shallow with Prescript. Um, Really good guy, uh, smart beyond his, it's unreal how smart that dude is. Um, he just, he doesn't show it. Like if you just have a regular conversation with him, he can be just like that bro, but he knows this stuff to a level that I don't think anybody in the industry actually understands it. Um, so I'm a big fan of his, his courses. So he's got like PSL one and PSL two, pretty sure he's in the process of developing PSL three. Um, and then we do seminars too. So like the seminar we did at Ultraflex in Rotherham, 
um, was me and Jordan together, which was basically just a two day dive into basic biomechanics. So it's really good opportunities. I will say um, getting to an in-person seminar is levels above anything that we teach or Jordan teaches online. It's just a different dynamic of application that you can take and start to use with people because I, I obviously with a crowd at a seminar, you're going to get multiple different presentations of structure and functional capacity and things like that. And you can actually see that in real time and like learn to adapt that. So that's kind of where I think a lot of the value is as far as developing that knowledge set as a coach um, is, is within those resources. Yeah, definitely in person for biomechanics uh, standpoint, like practical application matters and being able to see it in person. And on top of that, like when you're in person too, you get to network with people so differently. Like I'm a networker. Like I like to meet people. Like I'm like, Hey, how are you? My name is Brittany. Um, so when you were going to come on today, um, it was like in my head, I'm like, Oh, it's time to network. And then when Ashley had like, um, dinner with Austin, I'm like, damn, I wish I could network with them. Like, it wasn't even like, I want to spend time. It's like, I just want to talk and pick their brains about x y and z so yeah yeah yeah. in-person stuff is a shit all right um ashley do you have any like further questions or i don't think so no i'm definitely gonna that that's it for me i'm done grilling you uh (laughs) i learned we learned a lot i think we both learned a lot here it was good. Um, well, thank you so much, Luke. Is there, you just plugged some stuff, but is there a place where people can come and follow you on IG and stuff? Yeah. So no switch fitness at no switch fitness on Instagram is probably the best place to follow. Um, we put everything up about our seminars, J3U YouTube page, all of that is on there. It's all under no switch fitness. So just go to YouTube or whatever and and find it. Um, I will say the only thing we have coming up is an event here in Dallas, uh, the second week of August, um, August 14th, I believe. We haven't officially announced it, but um, it's on the schedule. So kind of stay tuned for the ticket drop for that. That'll be a pretty big seminar. Um, It'll be the Sunday after the Texas Pro. So that'd be kind of the big thing. And then obviously look out for the J3U openings. We post about them all the time when it does open up for registration. Um, and those would be kind of like the main things. And if you need me for coaching, just link in bio as shameless as that is just go in there and shoot me an inquiry um, and go from there. Awesome. Well, thank you awesome. so much for coming on. We appreciate you. Yeah, of course. Appreciate it. All right. Peace.